Hi, I'm Kelly Cervantes, and this is Seizing Life, a bi-weekly podcast produced by Cure Epilepsy. Today, I'm happy to welcome Hannah Witten to the podcast. Hannah's brother, Dylan, was diagnosed with epilepsy at the age of two. As his younger sister, Hannah grew up with epilepsy and seizures as a constant part of her life, often acting as a caregiver to Dylan. Watching her brother struggle with epilepsy shaped Hannah's experience greatly. When Dylan passed away from sudden unexpected death in epilepsy, or SUDEP, in 2017, Hannah became involved in the epilepsy community as a member of several nonprofit organizations and as a Cure Epilepsy board member. Hannah is here today to share her experience growing up alongside a sibling with epilepsy and to discuss how that perspective informs her work within the epilepsy community. Hannah, thank you so much for joining us today. I have been so looking forward to this conversation. Uh, To start, why don't you tell us a little bit about your brother? What was he like and what was your brother-sister relationship like? Thank you, Kelly, for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Dylan is my older brother by five years. Um, I grew up in a pretty big family, the youngest of five siblings, and Dylan was five years older than me. So he was the closest in age to me, and that made us extremely close. And when was Dylan diagnosed with epilepsy? And when did you become aware of what epilepsy was and, and seizures? Dylan was diagnosed with epilepsy at two years old. So for as long as I had been alive, Dylan had epilepsy. Um, I don't necessarily remember how epilepsy was explained to me by my parents or Dylan, but I do remember learning about the risks, um, such as Dylan couldn't swim alone or, or all the other things that have to do around epilepsy. I remember being scared of losing him. That is, that's a, a tough thing to be aware of as a young child, these, these incredible life and death risks. I wonder uh, if you could tell me what was Dylan's attitude toward his epilepsy? Well, surprisingly, Dylan was pretty positive about his epilepsy. I tell this story because it's one of my favorites. I think it's pretty emblematic of the kind of person Dylan was. Um, but we attempted a brain surgery when Dylan was 17 and they had cut into his skull and realized that where his epilepsy was located was too integral or important to him to remove. And my family was discussing how we were going to cheer him up because we thought this was such a devastating loss. And Dylan was the positive one. He was trying to cheer up my whole family and saying, you know, how grateful he was to be alive. And Uh, how lucky he was. And I think that just shows the kind of person that he was. While you were telling that story, I couldn't help but notice your use of we. You know, we decided for Dylan to have brain surgery. We were trying to cheer him up. Clearly, even though there was a five-year age difference, you were very involved in his care. I wonder what that looked like on a day-to-day basis for you. Well, my parents got divorced when I was pretty young, so the only person Dylan saw on a day-to-day basis was me, and that 
made us very close, but it also made me pretty aware of uh, his epilepsy and how best to stay on track with his epilepsy treatment plan. But um, I was absolutely aware of his epilepsy and I think it made us a lot closer as a team. I can only imagine how close you must have come being that constant in each other's life and and being the one who was always there for him. How did Dylan's epilepsy impact him as he was growing up? You know, did it impact him socially? Um, did it impact him in school? Did he have an IEP or anything like that? It impacted every aspect of Dylan's life growing up. I remember that Dylan was bullied by his peers for having epilepsy and just being different. I know kids are mean, boys are mean, um, and that was definitely something that he struggled with. Additionally, you know, we were consistently switching out the medications he was on, but he was consistently on a cocktail of drugs that had their own side effects. Um, Dylan would have trouble sleeping or sleep too much and have trouble getting up. I mean, I'm sure you're aware, but the the multitude of side effects of these epilepsy drugs impacted pretty much every aspect of Dylan's life. Yeah. I, the, sometimes the side effects are worse than the seizures themselves. And was he able to get accommodations in school? When Dylan was going to school, our experience was that we had a hard time even finding educators who were aware of epilepsy and how to handle that in a classroom experience. I do remember Dylan having a seizure when he was in middle school and he had um, hit his head on the desk repeatedly. And we were wondering, you know, how could that happen when there's a teacher there? But the teacher was also, you know, frozen and wasn't sure how to handle the situation. So, you know, I don't think it was made available to us to have an option to have an individualized study plan or school plan. I think we were just hoping for an environment that was capable of taking care of him and his epilepsy. Um, but I think that there have been positive movement and changes towards that position. Uh, recently, Oklahoma passed the seizure safe bill, which works towards educating schools and educators about how to handle epilepsy and what's the best way to approach having a student in your classroom with epilepsy. So I do think that there are positive changes there, but no, Dylan never had any accommodations in school. You know, 25 years is a long time to cover, but I wonder if you can give us sort of a brief overview of his treatment journey. You know, what type of treatments did he try? Did you ever find the cause of his epilepsy? Well, the first doctor that my family had seen about Dylan's epilepsy had told us that if we did not find the right combination of drugs and achieve seizure control within the first year, that we likely never would. That ended up to be true for us. Um, Dylan consistently switched out his medications once he got used to them or we realized they weren't working. Um, Dylan had a vagus nerve stimulator implanted in his chest. And while that did initially curb his seizures, it didn't have the kind of impact that we had hoped for him. And as I had mentioned earlier, we tried an unsuccessful brain surgery. Um, we didn't ever really achieve seizure control in the way that people define it. Uh, but before he died, it was the closest we had ever gotten to seizure control. Which it makes that that much more devastating, I'm sure, to have seen him at his best. 
did you ever learn a cause of what was behind his epilepsy? Was there any epilepsy in the family? Yes, um, our aunt had very mild epilepsy, nothing like Dylan's, and they were completely different experiences. But yes, it, it did run in the family. Um, and, you know, we really were told by doctors that there were a lot of things Dylan would never be able to do. But Dylan ended up proving those doctors wrong. Uh, Dylan went to college and before he passed away, he was living by himself, which took us a long time to achieve. He was working a full-time job. And so he defied all the odds towards the end. And was Dylan open about his epilepsy? I mean, I imagine to achieve all of those things, you know, between going to college or, you know, just making it through high school, you know, with as challenging as it sounds like his epilepsy was, was he forced to be open about it or did he choose to hide it? I think he was forced to be open about it. Uh, anyone who was close to Dylan knew he had epilepsy f for a variety of reasons, right? I mean, anyone who was close to him, we talked about the vagus nerve stimulator, about the battery. We discussed, um, you know, just the various different risks and Dylan was very blessed to have a huge network. You know, it takes a village. Uh, my family is a pretty big family, but they're very supportive. And Dylan's best friend growing up, Tyler, uh, ended up living with him throughout college. And so we had a really good network of people to uh, support Dylan. And was your family open? Did they talk about it and advocate for him uh, in public, Out, you know, during his life? Absolutely. You know, hindsight is twenty twenty. Um, being involved with all these uh, different organizations that focus on epilepsy now, you know, I wish we had gotten to know that greater community uh, sooner, but we didn't. And Oklahoma was pretty isolating in terms of our epilepsy journey. So yes, we advocated for Dylan, but I don't think, you know, we knew the right networks and resources in terms of advocacy, but it was absolutely not something that we hid about Dylan. Um, I do know that there are different consequences about being open with your epilepsy in terms of, you know, losing your license and, and being discriminated against at work. We were aware of those things, but for us, um, hiding Dylan's epilepsy just wasn't an option. Hi, this is Brandon from Cure Epilepsy. Did you know that one in 26 Americans will develop epilepsy in their lifetime? For more than 20 years, Cure Epilepsy has funded cutting-edge, patient-focused research. Learn more about our mission to end epilepsy at cureepilepsy.org. Now back to Seizing Life. You mentioned that being in Oklahoma could feel isolating for someone with epilepsy. I wonder if you can dive into that a little bit more. Well, I think having epilepsy by itself is pretty isolating. There is a huge stigma around epilepsy and it's hard to get past that and share it, but also living in a state where, you know, we didn't meet another family who who dealt with epilepsy until Dylan was in his mid-20s. Um, and we met the, uh, the Stone family. But, you know, that within itself makes it feel like you're living on an island. You know, you don't know anyone else who suffers from this. You don't know anyone else who has to find a, a way to live their life through this. And it was, it was extremely isolating to us. 
And how did you first get involved within the epilepsy community? You mentioned meeting the Stone family. Yes. Well, uh, Renzai and Leanne Stone are uh, just amazing people. Uh, I know Renzai sat on the board, so Kelly, you're familiar with Renzai. But, um, you know, my brother in the last year of his life really wanted to get involved with epilepsy. I think it had just been brought to his attention that there was a national platform for this. Um, and my dad introduced him to Renzai and Leanne Stone. And, um, you know, they lost their son to epilepsy. And Dylan and Renzai and Leanne just became fast friends. And they really gave Dylan an opportunity to see the epilepsy community and, and what awesome work they do um, through that being involved with ISF, Dylan actually got to attend a Cure Epilepsy event, and it was pretty life-changing for him to see the incredible group of stakeholders working together to find a cure. You mentioned that Dylan was able to go away to college, which is an incredible feat for anyone who is living with active seizures. I wonder, you know, you said that he had a friend that went with him. However, you know, how did having epilepsy affect his college life as a student? Were there certain parameters that he had to live within? Absolutely. As anyone who has loved someone with epilepsy, they understand that it makes huge life sacrifices. And after seeing so many things that Dylan had to give up because of epilepsy, uh, college was something that my family was pretty determined to make work. And we were so grateful that Dylan had his best friend who was fully aware of his epilepsy and knew how to uh, monitor his epilepsy. And so that was a huge blessing to us because what college kid wants to live with their parents? (laughs) Um, But I mean, yeah, there are certain aspects of being a college student with epilepsy that just make your experience different than everyone else's. You know, I think the common 18-year-old is having to argue about, uh, you know, getting an alcoholic beverage, but we were arguing about Dylan drinking coffee. So <laughs> <laughs> that, uh, you know, he didn't want to give up that coffee, huh? Yeah. <laughs> it was hard for him, you know. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to either. I, I didn't want to give it up when I was pregnant either. That's a, <laughs> that, one is, that one's tough. Yeah. Um, now, if you are comfortable doing so. Can you tell us, you know, some of the circumstances around your brother's passing from Sudet? Yes. Well, um, before my brother passed away, we were, you know, in the best place we had ever been in terms of his epilepsy. There were countless doctors who told us all the things Dylan couldn't do, that Dylan couldn't get his license, that Dylan would never be able to live alone. Dylan couldn't go to college or work a full-time job, Um, but he ended up proving them wrong, and it was really exciting for us to see Dylan um, finally live alone. Gosh, that was such a huge step for us, and there was a lot of fear there, too, just like going to college. There's risks anytime there's independence, Um, but his quality of life mattered to everyone, and we wanted him to be as independent as possible. So he was working a full-time job as a LIDAR specialist at an oil company. He was driving to work every day and living alone for the first time in his life. Um, Things were looking good. He had switched neurologists because his neurologist um, had retired. So that was a change for us. Um, But in terms of seizure control, it was the best that it had ever been. 
And then on August 27th, 2017, my brother passed away. Um, it was explained to us as though, you know, his heart just stopped. Um, I think it was pretty devastating because it's, if you love someone with epilepsy, you know all the ways that they could pass away, the thousands and thousands of risks, all the myriad of ways. Um, but we had never heard of Sudep, and so that was a, a shock to us when he when he passed away. I'm so, so sorry for your loss. There's nothing... I know that there's nothing that you can say that like makes it better, nor am I in any position to try and make it better, but um, it really super sucks. And um, so, so sorry. You mentioned that you had never heard of SUDEP before. It had never been brought up by any of his doctors. None of you were aware of it. No. And, uh, you know, Dylan had so many family members very active in his epilepsy care and for none of us to have heard of SUDEP. I mean, no one in my family, not my parents, not my sister who is a doctor, um, especially not me. So I think it definitely came as a surprise to everyone, especially because he was doing, you know, the best he'd ever been. I try to find hope in this story, right? And in the fact that he was able to prove people wrong that if doctors have told you as a person who lives with epilepsy that there are limitations that you can defy those odds and it's possible but it's also devastating to lose your best friend at just 25 years old yeah well i certainly think that uh determination runs pretty strongly in your family genetics <laughs> we've we've done several shows around sudep and one piece that sort of continuously comes up um, when someone passes from SUDEP is with the medical examiner and getting SUDEP as the listed as the cause of death, which is important from a research perspective because, A, we need to know how common it is, but it also, unfortunately, the more common it is, the more money can be made available for research to prevent it from happening to further patients. You know, I wonder if you had something similar with the medical examiner um, having SUDEP listed and, and if, you know, you mentioned that you hadn't known of SUDEP before, how did you learn? Um, how did you learn about SUDEP? Was, was that when you first heard of it? So for us, you know, I, I recognize that that's an issue, but for us, it was listed on his death certificate. In fact, that's how we found out about SUDEP. Um, you know, when someone you love dies, you're desperate for answers uh, about why. And, you know, we had discussed all the, the vastly different ways that Dylan could be injured or hurt or possibly die from epilepsy-related causes, but we had never heard of sudden unexpected death in epilepsy. And so that was the first time that we had ever seen SUDEP was actually on his death certificate. Uh, I know that shortly before Dylan passed, he had attended a Cure Epilepsy benefit and had been greatly moved by his experience there. Can you tell us about that and how that has led you to become involved with Cure Epilepsy as uh, one of our newest board members, uh, whom we are very excited and fortunate to have. Thank you, Kelly. 
Well, as I had mentioned earlier, the stones were very great to Dylan and uh, really introduced him to the national platform of epilepsy causes. They brought Dylan to the CURE event in 2017. And man, he was just blown away by the group of people and the work that CURE does. Um, and just how many people actually care about curing epilepsy really shook him. And he made a promise to be involved with CURE and the fight against epilepsy for the rest of his life. Uh, sadly, he passed away um, very shortly after that event. Um, I was pretty lost in my grief after my brother passed away. As anyone who's lost someone that they love, it's pretty isolating. And uh, the stones recognized that in me and really threw me a life, a life vest because uh, they got me involved with the Isaiah Stone Foundation, which is in honor of their son. And through that work, I uh, got to meet the amazing Beth Bean and you, Kelly, and just the amazing people who are involved with CURE. And CURE has become like a second family to me. And um, even though Dylan can't fulfill the promise that he made, I hope that I can carry on that promise in his name. And through research, there really is hope. I hope that we can find a cure for epilepsy. Amen, sister. Uh, you know, I, I often say that, and in fact, it was David Axelrod who first said it to Miguel and I, that, you know, you're so sorry that you're a part of this club, but we're, we're so happy to have you. There is this community and this family, like you mentioned, um, you know, it's a, it's a crappy club, but my goodness, are the members some of the most amazing humans that you will meet. You know, as a board member, as um, a part of this community and a leader in this community now, what do you hope, uh, you know, what are your goals? What do you hope to achieve as you take on your brother's mantle? Well, first and foremost, as a new board member, I think the most important thing that I would like to be a part of is finding a cure for epilepsy. Being involved in the conversations where the funding should go in terms of the most important research is such a privilege. And I'm so excited to be a part of finding a cure for epilepsy, but also battling the stigma around epilepsy is very important to me and something I would like to make a positive change. Hannah, you are a force. You uh, have your brother's determination to be sure, and we are, are so grateful to you for sharing your story, for sharing Dylan's story with us today. So thank you so, so much and wishing you all the best. Thank you so much, Kelly. Thank you, Hannah, for sharing your experiences and perspective with us. And thank you for honoring your brother's memory through your continued efforts within the epilepsy community. Cure Epilepsy has been a leader in SUDEP research, advocating for a better understanding of the issue and driving the research forward. The guidelines that doctors use today to help patients reduce the risk of SUDEP are an outgrowth of this research. We hope you will help us in our mission to better understand SUDEP and support Cure Epilepsy by visiting cureepilepsy.org forward slash donate. Through research, there is hope. Thank you.
The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of Cure Epilepsy. The information contained herein is provided for general information only and does not offer medical advice or recommendations. Individuals should not rely on this information as a substitute for consultations with qualified healthcare professionals who are familiar with individual medical conditions and needs. Cure Epilepsy strongly recommends that care and treatment decisions related to epilepsy and any other medical conditions be made in consultation with a patient's physician or other qualified healthcare professionals who are familiar with the individual's specific health situation.